Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Fearless Fiction. I'm your host, Bernadette Walsh, and I'm so pleased this evening to introduce my guest, Rebecca Rosenberg. Rebecca is a historical fiction author, champagne geek, and lavender farmer. Her titles include Champagne Widows. So welcome, Rebecca, to Fearless Fiction. How are you? I am so great. Finally, the rain has stopped here in Sonoma County. Uh, which is about an hour north of San Francisco, and we have bright sunshine. It's 70 degrees. We are so happy. Yeah, I know. I've been watching on the news. It's been really crazy, but hopefully you've been safe where you are. Well, we have two creeks on our property. We have a lavender farm here, and so the creeks have been running super high. So it's been it's been weird and trees are falling and all that sort of thing. But like I say, it's sunny today, so hallelujah. <laughs> well, just to make you feel jealous, I'm actually um, in our Florida home. I, I usually am in New York, but um, I took a week to myself. Um, my husband was supposed to come with me, but he had a work thing at the last minute. So I'm down here with my dog, and I've been doing so much writing. And people are like, aren't you, you know, lonely? I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> heaven. This is the first time I've gone on a vacation by myself. It's just been absolute heaven. And it's been it's been a little cold, but today it was seventy shine, you know, sun was shining. So much nicer than New York. Um Lovely. Anyway. Yeah, and it's great. I've been working really hard on this um my current work in progress, which I've been working on for two years and I can see the you know, the the light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm I'm very excited about it. But so how many drafts have you done in two years? How many drafts of your book? Um, no, I'm not finished with the first draft. But I do a little weird. Like I keep go I'm one of those like annoying people, like I keep going back and finishing going back. You know what I mean? So I keep I keep yeah. so I would say each chapter has probably had like five or six drafts. You know what I mean? But I haven't yeah. gotten to the end. So like this is the nervous part for me because you've come this far and usually I write a little bit faster, but I've had a lot going on in my life. So this, this is, and this has been kind of a difficult book. It's a little more complex than some of my other books, but you just want to land that plane. You know what I mean? And that's where I kind of, yeah. am. and I was hoping this week I would be able to really just finish it, but I'm, I'm not going to finish it, but I'm really happy with the progress I've made. So that's good. good. You know, I think we're writers just for that feeling of that creative moment where we really have the story and it's really coming together. Yeah. That's why I write anyway. Yeah. No, no. It's it's so great. And then, you know, especially like my first few chapters are always so stiff and then I have to go back because you kind of have to get into it. You have to get into the voice of the characters. So it's, it's really, this is a, is a nice flow stage. And like I said, it's, it's great that no one's asking me to make them a sandwich or to do laundry. <laughs> you know, it's, all I have to do is walk yeah. my dog. It's been great. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Um, I'm happy thank for you. you. Well, well, it's not done yet, but I've definitely made progress. So, Rebecca, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your writing journey. How long have you been writing? 
Ooh, I think it's been about uh, 12 years so far. And I have, I'm writing my sixth book now. And my book, like you're saying, like your book is really complex, like the most complex book that I've ever written, the most complex characters and two timelines. So it's been a challenge. So I can really relate to what you're saying right now. It's fun, though, when you get to this stage. I've been writing it for a year and three months, and now I'm really feeling it, like really feeling it. And I love that stage where you just know who she is and what you need to do, and that's a fun stage. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm dealing with because I'm having flashbacks, really like two timelines, and trying to do that in a way that's not confusing to the reader but yet doesn't bog them down. You know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. it's tough. No, it's definitely tough. So um, so maybe um, you can tell us a little bit about why you chose historical fiction as your genre. Um, well, first of all, one of my books, um, which is Gold Digger, Baby Doe Tabor, this is a person, a real person who lived in Colorado, a 20-year-old that came west for a gold mine and ended up working it alone. So I love to write about real people, real women, really, that I find out about and the stories that haven't been told about them. So that's what got me going. And that was very early on. And that book was really how I cut my teeth on writing 12 years ago. And actually, the one I'm writing now is a sequel to that. So it's going to be exciting. And it's all about the silver rush and the gold rush in our country during that gilded age. And this, her daughter, baby Doe Tabor's daughter, is named Silver Dollar, if you can believe it. That's her real name, Silver Dollar. And she was a burlesque star and a motion picture star in the 20s. So that's the book that I'm currently working on. And it's fun to get into those real stories of women. And so the time periods that you focus on, is it mostly, you know, the American West, a certain time period? No, actually, so those that is American West, and I have another American West, which is called The Secret Life of Mrs. London. And that is the love triangle between Houdini, Jack London, the author, and his wife, Charmian. And that was actually the first book that I had published. So that time period, so it doesn't really matter to me what time period it is. It is the story, like, is the story compelling? Is the story amazing? You know, does, is it something that I want to spend a year or two of my life doing? And as you mentioned earlier, the two books that that I'm currently doing, I have a um, Champagne Widows series of books. And those are the women, the actual women who started Champagne and revolutionized Champagne back in the 1800s. And that was in Europe, in France. So that's an entirely different story and, you know, altogether. And so how much research or what kind of research do you need to do for oh. each one of your books? <laughs> A lot, a lot. So I research a lot, and I research throughout the whole process, too. So in the case of um, the Champagne Widows series, 
I have been to Lens, France, which is the Champagne region of France, five times, and I've led tours through there, and I've met with the historians of these particular wineries. And the first winery, which is Champagne Widows, is Veuve Clicquot. Have you ever had Veuve Clicquot Champagne? You know, I'm not much of a champagne drinker, to be honest. Okay, okay. Well, it makes me dance on table. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what it's for. (laughs) So, um, Vogue Clicquot was the first woman who ever made champagne in 1800. And she, too, was very young, like 24 years old. And she lost her husband. And still, this was before champagne was really even a product like it is today. It was just starting to be a product. And she had to fight Napoleon. She had to fight pandemics, just like we have had to fight. She had to fight her husband, who was mentally ill, and she loved him dearly. All that and made the number one champagne house in the, in the world, even today, both Clicquot. So that is where I got very excited about telling her story. And she was a mother also. So how did she do all this? And she had to fight Napoleon Bonaparte, who was doing 15 years of wars through Europe, um, trying to conquer Europe. And he was making it impossible for them to ship any champagne to any other countries. So she, and she knew Napoleon. So both Clicquot had to fight all of that to make this company. So I, I found her like totally fascinating. And then I found out like 60 years later, there was another woman who was very inspired by her. No woman, no woman for hundreds of years had made champagne. And only the second woman, which was Madame Pomery, and that's the second book in the series, um, and that was in 1860, she started to make champagne, and she too was a widow. And so why were these women widows? is because women were not allowed to own businesses unless they were widows and had to support their families. So that was the only way that they could start these businesses. So I loved finding out about all of that, you know, and what they had to go through and the wars and France and all of that. It was fascinating. It's, it sounds like it. Do you ever, do you know what happens to their families? You know, like, where are they today? And did you ever reach out to any of their descendants? Well, yes, because I've worked with the historians at the two wineries. And in Madame Pomery's case, her family still is running the winery. So all these years later, they have a larger company also. But these are the biggest two of the biggest champagne houses in the world. So they're huge now, and they're fantastic. You have to try them. Even if you don't drink champagne, you would love them because they have gorgeous art, and just to see the architecture and to hear the story is quite amazing. So their families still are in control in in the case of Pomery, Madame Pomery, but in the case of Veuve Clicquot, her daughter did not was not interested in business. So she really turned it over to like another 
man, and he ran it from there. So it's, they, you know, they have very individual stories. So the kind of books that I write are about these real women with amazing stories. No, that's, that, it does sound amazing. And, and so do their families know that you've written this book? Like, have you gotten any response from them? Um, I have not gotten a response, but I've been, as I said, I've been working with the historian, so they know of the books. And mm-hmm. it's fun when I go back to the wineries, they get very excited, you know, that I've written these books. And actually, there's going to be a movie about the Champagne Widows book about Vogue Clicquot. And so when that comes out, which will probably be years from now if we're lucky, um, then that will be a good time to reach out to them as well. That's amazing. That's amazing. So you have, um, so a book is being made out of your, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, a movie is being made out of your book. It should be. So far it's going well. We have a director and they're looking for financiers right now, but it's with a really good company called Industry Entertainment out of Los Angeles, and they've done a lot of projects. And currently, the director has done two series of Marie Antoinette. So I think that's it all bodes well for it going forward. But I, I don't know. I don't know how long these things take since I've never done them. I think they'll take years. Yeah, but I mean, it's just, and yeah, you hear about sometimes the, the deals don't go through, but you have to be positive. Only put positive energy out into yeah. the universe. So yeah. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Well, it's such a cool, <laughs> such a cool story. And the thing about Vogue Clicquot that makes her story really exciting is that she had a very extraordinary nose. So her nose was called Lene, the nose, and it was the kind of sense of smell that was beyond what normal people have. And that's why she was able to pick out the different grapes from the different regions, growing regions, whether they would be planted on the, on the flats or on the hills or in the west or in the east. She was able to take all those different grapes and make an incredible champagne. And that's why Bob Clicquot has become such a major force in the world. Now, writing these different characters in different time zones, what is the biggest challenge there? You know, do you have to go back to your second, you know, your second or third draft and say, oh, you know, people don't say wow? Or like, how do you get the, the, because that to me seems like such a challenge. Um, How do you, how do you make sure the, the, the voice of the characters sounds true to the time frame? I don't, I do watch out that you don't have modern language in there, but I don't write in period, you know, like some movies that you've seen or some books that you write or read, sorry, um, that are very period speaking to me that would hold us back from understanding the story. So I do look for modern phrases in the editing and even in the writing, you're in that frame of mind. So I have Let's say in these two Champagne Widows books, um, that's in the 1800s, and it's in France, so I can't possibly say the words that they said then anyway, because it's not in French. Yeah, so you just have to speak in a language that doesn't have slang, 
and that is a probably more formal. Like always in historical fiction, you're not going to be using um, consonants. You know, you're not going to use slang. Although right now I'm writing a book of the 20s, and I have a whole list of 20s terms that they use. So I'm careful when I get to that point where I need to say something like, you know, wow, it would be, wow, that's the cast pajamas kind of thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. so you, and I did, I did that too in the Western. That, that is a little easier because all of us have some old, uh, like our grandmothers and grandfathers who spoke in colloquialisms and idioms. I love idioms, you know, those phrases that are really colorful that they said, like, geez, Louise, or you know, golly, golly whiz or things like that, that add, that would go with the character. And of course, then the characters are all different within a book. So some are educated and some are not, and some came from the country and some came from the city. So, you know, there's uh, shading all of that too and what business they're in and what their position is in life, if they are kings or, if, or for instance, I had to write about Napoleon and how did Napoleon and Josephine speak compared to the other people in the book? So it is, it takes a lot, it takes a lot to do historical fiction, but somehow I just really enjoy it. No, it sounds like you do. And, and I think you would have to because it takes so much work so much more work than writing a contemporary. You know what I mean? It does. Because, My yeah. husband yeah. says, why don't you just write like, you know, a modern day novel? I said, I don't know. There's something about these women that really speak to me. And right. if their story hasn't been told, I tell it. Yeah, no, and, and you always can. But, you know, um, also the publishers and agents are always telling you, pick, pick a lane and stick to it, right? Build a, le- build a readership there. And so if you've it's built true. your readership in historical fiction, you know, unless you're really called to do something modern day, you know, what it's, I, I think you also kind of, it's, it's very easy for people who aren't writers to tell you what you should be doing. <laughs> and they don't realize <laughs> that you're just kind of drawn to certain things. And, you know, I know at one point I tried to, I was like, I want to write a really commercial romance, right? Because I belong to a, a romance reader, uh, writing group. And I, my first book was a contemporary romance, but I really veered more into the women's fiction. And again, more meaty, doing, not, not that romance can't be meaty, but like kind of complex, different time zones. And I was like, you know what? And, sometimes, and maybe there, some of the topics that I pick are maybe not the most commercial. I, I really talk about women's lives, um, the challenges that they face. So I've had, you know, characters who have had cancer and I've had, you know, people's marriages breaking down. And I was like, you know, I want to, I want to write something light. I want to do a romance, a very commercial romance, right? right. Know, boy meets girl, they run off into a sunset. Well, I got about 50 pages in and I was like, I can't do this. I have no interest <laughs> in this. Not that I couldn't do it, but I was like, I have no, I just, it's, it's, it's reading really flat. It's not my passion. And so I'm going to go back to my, you know, angsty women's <laughs> fiction heroine, but um, so I think you know, I so. You that. just answered you just answered the question too. So you're really drawn to women's issues that they're dealing with that are complex, 
And the same is true for me, except that they lived in the past. And these are issues that we don't deal with today, but some are. So it's fun to see that, oh, my God. Like when I found out that Bill Clicquot's husband had mental illness, and no one has ever said that. But then I got the letters that his father was sending to him in the 1800s, and I thought, oh, my God, he was depressed all the time this young man, and he ended up killing himself. And so obviously he was depressed, but no one ever said it. Like the winery didn't say that because you don't talk about those things. So it's fun to uncover secrets too that, you know, most people don't know. So I love that. And you're doing the same thing with your, you know, your how does this woman handle a certain situation and how would it be different for me or you know maybe I can learn something from that book yeah yeah so would you so it sounds like a lot of your characters are women and they're very women focused so do you sometimes categorize some of your books as women's fiction as well as being historical fiction uh, let's see they are usually in the literary fiction on Amazon, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, that category. And then beyond that, they're also biographical fiction. So where I'm highly rated in all of my books is literary biographical fiction, not even historical fiction. So that's books about people who or novels about people who really lived. And I do like to do that. I would say, I would almost say they're biographical, but we don't know, you know, what they said in the 1800s. And we weren't, you know, not sure what that relationship is like. But say back to the Boot Clicquot example, I found out through my research that she did not get along with her mother. And so I built a whole, and, and I found out why she didn't get along with her mother. And so you build that whole relationship through the book and so that it's real. And yet that there's a love and there's a um, real struggle between them because they're mother and daughter and love each other, but they just don't see the world the same way. So actually that book, um, Champagne Widows, both her mother and her daughter are totally different than her. You know, she's an entrepreneur, and she really wants to create this incredible winery, and they could care less. They're French society women, and they want to go have tea and do social events and all of that. So it's fun to write about these problems that we don't have today. But yet we do, right? The mother-daughter relationship, and it's funny that you mentioned that, because so so many of my books are focused on the mother-daughter relationship, and... You know, I I have one book, um, The Girls on Rose Hill, which is actually set on the North Shore of Long Island, but it's about, you know, three generations of women and how the the grandmother is so different from the mother who's so different from the daughter, you know. And so in some ways, it sounds like a lot of your books, even though they may be set in different time zones, deal with very universal themes. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Every, all, each book that I have is, like that. So the one that I'm writing now, which is called Silver Dollar, she actually has a disassociative personality, which we used to call a split personality. 
And no one has identified that in uh, history, and yet I have her letters to her mother. And this girl, Silver Dollar, tells her mother to call her a different name in each letter that she writes her. And she's living at a different address. And she's very vague about a lot of details. And she's always having physical problems that are really strange, very strange, like things you haven't heard of, like blood poisoning. And she ended up dying by being scalded to death. And so I think what happened to her, you know, is that she got to Chicago and she was in burlesque and she was motion picture star, that she got swallowed up. She had mental illness and she got swallowed up in all of that the gangs and the speakeasies and everything and couldn't handle it. So it's pretty heavy. But I wanted to make it light. So so that's why she has this, uh, I know, isn't that weird? So I wrote this whole book before. And I said, nobody will want to read this because it's way too depressing. And then I realized in rereading these letters that she was totally talented and exciting in many ways and a lot of fun. She's sassy, she's fearless, she's fun. And so I decided, okay, so she keeps saying she's all these different names. So I think she had, you know, possibly many personalities that came out and just got her in trouble. So that's how I'm writing the book now. So now you have to research psychological disorders on top of everything else. (laughs) It's a lot lot more work. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I've got it now. Like. I've got it now. I'm on my third draft, and I know what I'm doing. But I did cut them down. Like, really, she had maybe seven names, and I'm cutting it down to two because I can't deal with all that. Plus, I don't want it to turn into a psychological. All about civil, right? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. No, I don't want to. That's not what it's about. What it's really about is her struggling with her identity, because she was one of the richest um, girls in the country at the time. And then her parents lost all their money in the silver crash, and that changed her identity. Plus, she got raped, for real, by her lawyer. And so all those things happened to girls back then. This was in, like, 1900s. And they couldn't talk about them or get any therapy about it. There wasn't any of that. So what happens to someone like that? And they're beautiful and talented. And like I said, she was in motion pictures and she was a burlesque star. Well, like a vaudeville burlesque star. So it's it's a struggle, but that's why I'm trying to do it. (laughs) Like why write something that's easy at this point? No, no. Well, why make it easy, right? Why make it easy on yourself? I guess one thing I wanted to touch on, you mentioned that you have a lavender farm. And, you know, at least some of your books seem to, at least the champagne, I I would imagine, have an agricultural aspect of them. So did that influence, you know, what what you chose to write about? Because not everyone is a lavender farmer. It seems like kind of a unique uh, profession. Yes. So I do have a book on lavender, and it's called Lavender Fields of America. And it's about the 200 or so lavender farmers here in America. And I did that book because we owned, we had the lavender farm and we owned the largest lavender manufacturer in the country. 
And so we sold to all these different farms. So I got to know them, and um, it's a gorgeous book. It's got hundreds of pictures in it, and it really tells about people's dedication to lavender and all the benefits of lavender, which are amazing. It's healing. It's soothing. It's relaxing. It you know has a psychological benefit as well as an actual physical benefit. And my husband and I, it was already 25 years ago, um, came up to Sonoma County where they grow all the wine. It's right next to Napa County. And we said, well, we have this five-acre farm and we're going to grow lavender instead of wine. So right now I'm looking out at the vineyards in front of me and the mountains um, and and the fields of lavender as well. So I love the earthiness of the, you know, the lavender, and I think the Champagne Widows and my lavender books definitely bring that out. But also these mining books, in a way, you know, this um, gold mining and silver mining is very earthy. You know, it's very like relying on the earth for your wealth and for your well-being. It's a different idea. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like it. Well, first of all, I'm just sitting here imagining what your window, looking at your window is like. It, it sounds like a sounds I like wish a I could show you a picture. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's very beautiful. Right now, the it's really a beautiful time, even though it's February or the end of February, because the vineyards are full of mustard. So the mustard grows between the vines, and it's bright yellow. So the vineyards are all bright yellow with this beautiful mustard. And then we've got the lavender right now is not a bloom. So that's in June. But it's nice that we have this hit of yellow right now. Sounds beautiful. So, Rebecca, maybe we, you can talk a little bit about your publication journey. Are you self-published? Do you have, are you have a publisher? you a hybrid? I I'm not a hybrid, but I have um, different types of publishing that I've done. So my first couple books were with a publisher and with a large publisher. And that is interesting. You know, that was a good idea because I didn't have any experience at all in publishing. So that was good. And that was with Lake Union, which is one of Amazon's mm-hmm maybe 16 publishers. So I was with Lake Union, and then they Lake Union decided that they weren't going to, you know, they have certain kinds of books that they want to publish, and they wanted to publish 20th century historical fiction. So then my book started to be 1800s, and they didn't want to do those. So that's when I started publishing myself. And now I'm kind of addicted to it because you get to do everything. So my covers, when you look at my covers, they're exquisite. They're actual wine posters from that era. And I just love finding them and designing. I've always been a product designer, so I love to actually design the product of the book. And I'm really enjoying that. Plus, you can see you know, what different promotions you do and things, which works, and you're really involved with your um, reviews and such. Here's an example. It's my first book, 
The Secret Life of Mrs. London with Lake Union. I think it might have, I don't know, I haven't checked lately, but maybe 850 reviews, and that was many, many years ago. And already my book that's not even a year old, Madame Pomery, has way over that. And so I think that somehow being really in touch with your book and your audience and your readers and your, you know, sending newsletters, being more in touch with the readers has worked for me. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So um, that actually kind of loops into my next question. You know, what do you do in terms of promotion? Oh. <laughs> Everything. <It's, you> know, <laughs> Get movies made. I wish I That's the a, best promotion, I wish right? I, yeah, I know. Well, I hope, I wish I could clone myself because I really am, I love marketing. And my background is all marketing before like in Lavender, I would design all the products and go and sell all the products and do the websites and the, all the promos and all that stuff. So I know how to do that. But right now I find like I'm just really enjoying the creative process. So I try to discipline myself to reach out to, um, you know, on social, I'll do Instagram and Facebook and get a routine of doing those. Now I'm doing three times a week. And then I have a newsletter that I do once a month, and I do a really good job at that. And then other promotions is reaching out to people who want to be on my review crew and treating them really nicely and with, you know, um, gifts that are related, champagne-related or whatever type of book I'm doing, that kind of thing. What am I forgetting? Sometimes I do a lot of what we're doing now, like podcasts, and I do a lot of appearances. I'm, I'm speaking. So coming up in March is the Women's History Month. That is a National Women's History Month. So I do tons on that, and I do that on Facebook and on my blog, I'll have something every day about a different woman in our American history, you know, to understand their story. And so March is kind of my month that I'll really do a lot of that kind of thing. How about you? Well, I do my podcast show um, and Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I do the Instagram. I'm not, you know, it's funny. The reason why I started this um, podcast, and I did it, I started it like 10 years ago, actually, before like a lot of people were doing the podcast, and then I had to take a little bit of a hiatus. But part of the reason why I did it was because, you know, I'd started my first book, and, and my journey is a little similar to yours. I was with a publisher, um, Kensington um, Lyrical Press, originally, and it was the best training school, because I, right. I don't think I could have gone out, and now I'm indie, but I, I don't think I could have gone out the door being indie because you don't know what you don't know. And I've learned so much right. from them. Absolutely. They, you know, they were like, okay, you need a website. Okay, fine. I did my website. That was easy. They're like, you have to be on social media. So I would see, you know, I tried a Twitter. This was one back when it was called Twitter and not whatever it's called now. But I had yeah. all these tweets and it would be like, I'm just shouting into the universe. And they I don't like that. Really I don't like that. Yeah, Twitter. you have to be really pissy. <laughs> and I was like, gosh, that's not really like me. And, you know, I was like, what am I going to do? And then I was on a local um, TV show called The Writer's Dream, done out in Long Island. 
And I don't know what happened, but I had such a great time being a guest on that show. Yeah. I said, well, you know what? I can talk. That's the one thing I can do. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not limited to like, you know, a hundred and some, something characters, right? I can just talk. And so that's why I started, started the podcast. And again, I, I kind of went through, um, so I, I did a, a lot of it and, and it was in a, a different, um, it was more focused on romance because that's where I was at the time. So part of the reason why I rebranded it and renamed it Fearless Fiction is because I wanted to talk to authors who were across genres especially since I myself am not really writing romance that much anymore. I, I do it occasionally, but it's really more women's fiction. So that's kind of how I got into this. So I think sometimes in your promotions, there's so much you can do, right? And you still have to, like, I have a day job, so I still have to do my day job. Um, you know, you're still a wife, mother, have all those other obligations, and you still have to find time to write. So I think in some ways you have to focus what you do in terms of your promotion and do something that you enjoy, right? right? You know, exactly. I, I did a blog. Yeah, I did a blog, um, a blog post once saying, you know, so, you know, promotion shouldn't be like taking your medicine. Right. It shouldn't be something you dread. Right. It has to be something that you enjoy. Um, so that's that's kind of what I do. So I'm, but I'm as really, you know, well, I love that you're doing this podcast. That's really amazing. That's really great. And you found your niche. It's really good. But it, as you know, the energy that writing takes is really super different than promotion. You know, it takes a lot of focus and, you know, just focus and concentration to write. And promotion is more like, okay, out there. It's energy going, flowing out there. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, when you're writing, you can say, okay, I did two pages today or I did five pages today. When you're tweeting, you're like, What's the impact? You don't know. And there's so much noise out there. So it's, I, I think it also depends on your personality. Like you had a marketing background, so you, it's probably more of a comfort zone for you than it is for me. Yeah. Um, so, or maybe some other people, especially like a lot of writers are kind of introverts. So, you know, making them, like, it's so funny. I have guests sometimes on my podcast and I can tell who's like not, not comfortable. It's like something their agent told them they had to do. And I can feel the tension over the wire. You know what I mean? So yeah. you, you yeah. kind of have to, like, like I said, if you, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, um, it just, it's not successful either. You know? So it's tough. Absolutely. It's definitely tough to find an audience. But it sounds like you, you are on a great path. I cannot wait to find out about your movie. I know it may be a while until so it's done, but I'm very excited about yeah, it. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a while. <laughs> But I am excited when they called me and told me we have a director. That sounded like a good deal. And he's a really good one. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. So maybe you could tell people where they can find you online. And then I, I understand that you have a new um, audio book out that you wanted to maybe talk about. Yeah, well, the Champagne Widows um, series is now on audio. As and Actually, I'm not sure if it's up yet, but it will be in a couple of days. So it's Champagne Widows or Madame Pomery, and you can get those on Amazon. And then my website, which has a wealth of visual and information, is Rebecca-Rosenberg.com. And that's where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter and get information about upcoming books and all sorts of exciting things. 
And then also you could follow me if you'd like on Facebook or Instagram at Rebecca Rosenberg Novels. And that's it, Rebecca Rosenberg Novels. Well, Rebecca, this has been such a pleasure. Please make sure that you like the Fearless Fiction fan page because I and even post if you like, because I, I like to be able to tell people, give them updates on our past guests. Um, so, okay. and then certainly I want to know what's happening when the movie comes out. I'll let everyone know. Okay. Sure. That would be very exciting. Okay. But, um, but again, thank you so much well, for taking the time. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much, Bernadette. Yeah, no, it's been so again, everyone, please, please, please like the Fearless Fiction fan page so you can stay up to date. Um, I have over 70 interviews in the archives on Blog Talk Radio or wherever you were able to download this this podcast. So please check those out. And then also, if you would like a free copy of my latest book, A Safe Distance, please sign up for my newsletter. And all the information about my newsletter is on my and all my titles is on my website, BernadetteWalsh.com. So thanks everyone for joining me. This is Bernadette Walsh, Fearless Fiction, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>